welcome to a very special bonus edition of Nightmare on Monster Street, your source for the straight poop on Nightmare on Elm Street. We're your hosts. My name is Chris Anderson, but if you went to high school with me, you could call me Shibby. And this is Ethan Sereski, the other host of Uncle Monster's Spooky Time Fright Hour, and today we bring you something incredibly exciting, intoxicating mm-hmm. even. Please allow me to introduce special guest star, legend of stage and screen. Mm-hmm. He brought us the mighty Roland Kincaid in the Nightmare on Elm Street series and proved that the black guy dying first, as Kincaid would put it, is bullshit. Award-winning author, actor, writer, and director of The Secret Weapon, Yesterday is Today, the Honorable Sir Ken Sago. Yeah. And you wrote that shit exactly as I wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly you like it? As I wrote it. <laughs> I stole it, you're saying? I plagiarized you? Yes. But I advised right. you not to cash the check because there's no money in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> well, we wouldn't say it if it wasn't true, Ken, and we're very happy to have you here. It's very exciting for me. We're both huge fans. Uh, and, and yeah, it's great. We're so amped up. And I'm honored to be here. I truly am. I really am honored to be here. I, I, I've grown to uh, know you two guys, and I'm so honored to know you all. Both, uh, you know, Ethan and I, we've been talking a while. And Chris, I've been talking with you. And so I'm not going to tell too many people, but you guys are okay. <laughs> well, thanks, Ken. I appreciate that's that. That's not okay. Why? That's just an O and a K. So, uh,. <laughs> That's the best kind of okay. <laughs> now, Shibble, how how do how would you like to start off? I know you were wondering a few things. Well, yeah, we we got some questions just because you know we both want to know you. Ethan's been talking to you a lot, getting ready for the episode after he reached out and saw if we can interview you, and he's been telling me a lot of great, interesting stories. So I'm just really excited to to dive into it. Uh, so I guess my first question is, how did you get started in acting? What how did you get the bug? Um. I, you know, that's, I don't know how to answer that question. i tell you why, because even as a kid, my mom and my sister used to tell me that, you know, I was such a young actor. This was before I even knew what acting was. And I used to tell little jokes and sometimes in the afternoons. I remember my sister saying, my nickname was Scooter. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was raining and we couldn't go anywhere. And she said, well, maybe... Scooter can crack up some jokes and I didn't know what she mean and I guess it meant because I had made them laugh so many times that now she was telling the joke I was telling the joke so I think that was one of the first times the other time I think in the fourth grade we used to do something called pantomime and at Mm -hmm. that time you know we, we was like little kids we had been listening to the temptations and stuff so we was pretending we were the Temptations on screen, so oh nice, yeah, on stage. So that's what it was. No, no, I'm a huge fan of that Motor City sound. Yeah, you and me are in the same day, boat on that one. You know, back in the day, yeah, the, yeah, those harmonies and we didn't know what we didn't know what love down. was, but we knew mm-hmm. what good music was. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, at some point you must have gotten up on a stage or out in front of a camera for the first time. What was that first like? How did that time, I was actually in um, 
that was when I was much older. Uh, mm. I did stage. I did stage. I started working at the uh, Crystal uh, uh, Crystal at Six Flags, and my first really on stage performance was I played HR puppet stuff. <laughs> Incredible. And uh, uh, I'm from Atlanta in Stockton. Mm -hmm. So Sid and Marta Croft brought their amusement park to Atlanta and it was called Sid and Marty Croft and I was one of the storybook characters. And then uh, one of the uh, directors of the uh, storybook characters wanted me to try out for puppet stuff. So I was a storybook mm -hmm. character and then I would go over there and I would put on the, uh, the uh, you know, the, the stuff. That, uh, like the big fursuit yeah, situation. I, I had the knife back on because all you had to do was do this here and say, hi, I'm puppet stuff. I'll let you every day and stuff like that. So that was... <laughs> That, was the first time that sounds I was like a fun job for a kid. Yeah, you know, it, 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 I was slim then, so it was like jumping jacks, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure sweating it out in the Atlanta sun in that fursuit would help keep that weight down. Yes, yeah, it, it was. It was a great time. I met some wonderful people. Uh, what's that singer that used to sing? God bless all Americans. I met her. That's a part of somebody. Because she, uh, at the opening, she actually sang that song. Uh, and I met a lot of people at that time. And then, did you, you went to college after that, is that correct? I went to college at uh, Kennesaw. At the time, it was Kennesaw Junior College, but now it's called Kennesaw University, which is a very, very mm -hmm. uh, respected university in um, Mayreta, Georgia now. And I moved out here, and I went to UCLA Extension Program and got involved with acting and writing and directing. I took classes there. And mm -hmm. I went to the Hollywood Screenwriters Institute. So I, All right. I kept myself busy in trying to learn. But my best training came from being a security guard at Universal Studios. Mm. I was a young kid, um, had left college, and I was a security guard, a walking security guard. So what I did is made sure that uh, when you go through the stages, because each uh, guard had this big old clock we carried over our shoulders. And we had to go to certain places on the lot and put this key in the clock, which makes sure that we are traveling around the lot. Oh, my God. All right, that makes sense. But once we was in a stage and they was filming, we couldn't move. So I always made sure that I was trapped in a <laughs> Nice. <laughs> because it was a learning process. And there I got a chance to meet like Lucille Ball. I got a chance to meet Shirley uh, Jones. Oh, wow. All those great legends then. I got a chance to talk to some of them. But one of the mm. best greats that I met was the great, late Mr. Alfred Hitchcock. 
Oh, wow. That's amazing. In his last year, I was actually, I didn't meet him on stage. I met him in his bungalow because there was a key that I had to match in his bungalow. And when I went in there and I hit the key, I started looking at the wall. Now, my eyes was everywhere. And mm. I was looking at the wall because there was this big poster of the birds, which was my favorite horror film. He, oh, great choice. And he said, hello. And I turned around and, oh, thank God I wasn't wearing white drawers. <laughs> <laughs> and he actually spoke to me and he asked me what was I going to do. Because I had a deep southern accent, which I still have. And mm-hmm. it, that drew people to them. And he just said, you know, continue your dream and he turned around and went back in his office and the next time I saw him I was at the main gate at the studio mm-hmm. and when he was driving out he would all he never spoke he would always look at me and just nod his head to me prior before that when he drove off the lot he would just look straight ahead he was he, he didn't drive he had a drive but mm-hmm. he Oh, oh, I'm sure. He drove him off the lot. He would not say anything. He would just just look straight ahead. But from that day that I met him, when he would drive off the lot, he would look at me and just nod his head. And oh, that's incredible. You'll find that through through the years that for some reason people gravitate. Well, not for some reason. I mean, Ken's an extremely likable guy, and he's like magnetic, but. <laughs> Not just fans, but like celebrities and like like Alfred Hitchcock. These people will seek him out for these weird interactions. Like, well, I know that's what you did. Well, yeah, I sought him out for a weird interaction too. I I was I I was guilty of it as well. Me and Alfred Hitchcock fell for the same thing. Uh, what about didn't didn't you have an interaction with uh, Ron Reagan's wife? Oh yes. I can go through a list. You know, uh, me and Ethan was talking about that maybe I mm-hmm. should write a book about from called the, what the legends I met up to from your words to mine or something we talked about. And it's because mm-hmm. uh, Jane Wyman um, at one, I think the second year I was on patrol as well. So they had me to guard Jane Wyman's house. I was just not guard, just out there. I think Ronald Reagan had become president. Even though he was not married to her, she was his ex-wife, so she still needed some type of, wanted somebody there. So she looked. Yeah, that's fair. So I was outside, and I was in the car, and we was instructed never to say anything to her. And she would come out, and she would look at me, never smile, never Mm -hmm. smile. And she asked something about, do they feed you? And I said, no, we, I bring my lunch. And so the next day that I was there, she came out with this little tray of something and she had some food in it. And she said, do you eat? And I said, yeah, I want to say, look at me. Do I look like a person that don't eat? But you, <laughs> but you couldn't say anything. And then you are, you're afraid because- yeah. And you know, you're at work. You want to be a professional. And we are, had given strict rules not to talk. Mm. And oh, I'm so sure. she came and she gave me that sandwich and a 
I say it now. I say it to Ethan. That was the worst tasting shit I ever ate in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and then she would sit there and watch me take a bite. And, you know, <laughs> I ate it. And, you know, I, it was one of those things you couldn't eat and spit out. <laughs> and and she smiled. I think she was a, a sadist and she was doing it on purpose. Yeah, you don't think she was playing a prank on you, do you? No, I don't think. No, she wasn't. She right. literally, I think she, I'm not going to say she was lonely, but she literally was being friendly. She oh, okay. literally was liking, was liking me. And, you know, and because the next day she would, she would bring me something to eat, like, you know, a, 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 a cookie wrapped in a bag or something. She made her mm-hmm. point. Now the other did it taste? Did it taste like shit, or no, was it a good no, cookie? No, no. And, I, and I really shouldn't have said that, but I didn't want to lie. But uh, <laughs> uh, it's all right. No disrespect. Very nice lady. Sure, she was trying her best to make she, a good. She, she did that, and and but the other security guards who was guarding her, she never spoke with them. <laughs> so I. I um, so it, it, and it wasn't a black or white thing because there was a couple of other black security guards that had been there, but she never spoke with them. I, I was told, mm. and so and so that was it. And so when I didn't go back, she asked, "Where was I?" Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's and, sweet. But the uh, Telus of Wallace. When he came through, you know the little hole that comes down at security. Yes. Yeah. He drove. Yeah, the the arm yeah. that blocks the cars. He drove a Rolls yeah. Royce, and I had good for him. The pole come down on the back of his car. He stopped, <laughs> and Ooh. he looked at me, and <laughs> in my mind, I said, "Okay, uh, go pack your stuff." <laughs> <laughs> He just looked at me, got out, looked at his car, and drove off. That's all he did. And all right. The next, well, didn't he offer you an opportunity? Yeah. For the next uh, week or so, I was on patrol, and I had to go mm-hmm. by his bungalow, and I saw him, and I apologized to him. And he just pat me on the back and said, don't worry about it. I needed to get a paint job, and I thought he was going to help me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then he... We talked about why I was there, and he gave me a pass to come to his. Um, he was teaching a workshop at Sherman Oaks College. And he let oh, me cool. come take his class, and from there, the next person that I always have to give homage to was Jack Cutman. When he found out that I had dreams, he made sure that the caterer uh, would fix a meal for me every day. Oh, that's so sweet. And Is that amazing? No matter where I was, the caterer, would, if I was working that day, the caterer found me and he would bring me a plate to eat. That was as long as he was there. And I got that from a lot of those stars. Joan Rivers saved my job. I would mm. never forget that. I have her letter, you know, to this day where she, um, oh, I was going to show it. 
to this day when she uh, saved my job, and I would never forget that. Um, she um, called the person that was trying to fire me a trap. <laughs> and for something, I was actually packing to leave, and she actually went upstairs. And ten minutes later, they said I wasn't leaving. So when she left, all she said in passing, "We told that tramp, didn't we?" <laughs> <laughs> so not not, but not everyone was the coolest person in the world. Wasn't there one incident where? You went to get an autograph for someone in your family uh, that didn't go quite right? We're just trying to bring up trouble, Ethan. That's all you're doing is trying to bring up trouble. But you know, I know. He's trying to make our podcast into page six. Yeah. I don't know what I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. That was Chevy Chase. I said... Oh, Chevy Chase. I had yeah. no idea. Hey, you know. Okay, 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 Chevy. He's such a nice heard... guy. <laughs> I, I've heard some things. He was a nice guy. The people maybe he wanted to be nice to, but I wasn't one of them. And um, he, um, it was my godmother's birthday coming up. And so I mm. went to his bungalow to see if I could get a picture, autographed picture of him to his sucker. And um, he was in his office and he came out and they said, you want what? And I explained it to him. And so by the time I got to the office, because I went there, like I was the clock in at 4 o'clock. So I went there at like 3.45 to see if I could get one. But by the time I got to the office, as soon as I walked into the office, they um, asked me to come in. They looked at my badge because when he came out and asked me a question, what I didn't know is that he was getting my badge number and they looked at my badge and I got rolled up and they told me if I do anything like that again I was fired can you believe that Chevy Chase took down his badge number and I I will mention that Ken is not the only one who hates uh, or who had a bad experience with Chevy (laughs) Chase everyone hates him in the world no one likes Chevy Chase I spent there was a huge article in Gawker about how everyone from Sarant Live and Community, they all absolutely hate him. And as do I, being a Howard Stern fan. I do not hate him. I do. I, that, I'm, yeah, Ken does not. I do. I do not hate him. And at the time, you know, being in the realm of celebrity, you know, sometimes people come and you have a bad day and he may was having a bad day. Well, because, He's had a bad 40 years. Well, because, I'm just going to say, it's one thing to say I'm not going to give you an autograph, not today, man. It's another thing to say I'm going to call your boss. They, you know? Like, that's a bit They much. sent me an autograph. Oh, all right. They sent, yeah, you didn't, yeah, but what'd you do with it? They sent me an autograph. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wouldn't want it either, after all that. <laughs> it was too rough to use after the bathroom, but they sent me an autograph. <laughs> 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 But things things got better after the Chevy Chase incident and uh, the Universal lot because soon you were training with one of the greatest actors of all time. Is that not true? What do you mean training with one of the greatest actors? Training, learning, learning your craft. Oh, you talking about a workshop? Yes. I end up taking the great Marlon Brando workshop. 
Wow. Amazing. And, you know, the one... What an opportunity. And the thing about Marlon Brando, which stands out to me, he said that acting is lying for living. That's what <laughs> acting is. And so what I learned from him is that there was a homeless guy that was at the in the back where he was having his studio and he saw him. And Marlon Brando invited him in to be a part of the workshop. That's amazing. Oh, wow. And Marlon Brando, one of the uh, things that he taught us, and every day he would bring in another celebrity, uh, a celebrity to talk with us. He brought in Whoopi Goldberg. He brought in Elizabeth Taylor. He brought in Sean Penn. He brought in Michael Jackson. So he brought these celebrities in to talk to us. Uh, He brought in Robin Williams which I had the honor of meeting him before. And um, so um, he told us that, you know, we have to imagine and believe the characters that we're going to play and allow the character to possess us to be who we are. And so... Yeah, he he was famously a method guy. Is that sort of your approach as well? Yeah, because what he did is that then the next day he came, he said he had always wanted to know what it was like to play an English white woman. <laughs> what it would be like. I bet it'd be okay. fun. So what we didn't see is the next day he came with this long pink scarf around his neck. Mm-hmm. And then the next day he came with his fingernails pink. So each day we didn't realize he was becoming an English white woman. Mm-hmm. But we didn't see the final touches of that because he got sick and went to council. Oh. But oh. where he took us was to a place I never forgot that we started seeing what he was feeling as he was teaching us young people, not just young people, but in this workshop to become, he was actually doing a, uh, one of the first to do a, like a workshop for television. It was called Lion for Living. And that's what he was doing with that, with his workshop. And he was set at the top in his chair, like a king or queen. And we (laughs) out front and we was the actors. He had cameras all around us as we was participating. And I had to do a scene, and uh, the scene was, it was supposed to be, I was, it was a black guy that, uh, it's this racist KKK guy whose son mm-hmm. was in the hospital and he needed a kitten. And I was a black man who had a son that was dying and had a good kitten. So, mm. I was to go and offer my son kidney to his son for life. But what Marlon Brando did, he made me play the racist white guy. Wow. White guy played the black guy. It was in total reverse. So we had to learn to go into a place that I don't think I ever thought about. Mm -hmm. 
and we and we did that scene and he gave an applause he loved it till he stood up and started applauding and his pants mm -hmm. dropped to the floor <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he was just in his draw he's a very good very good the guy uh, he kept he, clapping he yeah. didn't pick up his pants he didn't pick up his pants he never <laughs> picked up his pants and, you know and he, <laughs> At that time, he was big. He was like, drawers was too tight. I know that wasn't. <laughs> and they kept saying, your pants had dropped. He said, oh, they know what I got down there. And he just, <laughs> and he just kept up. Yeah, they've all seen Last Tango in Paris. <laughs> we know what's going on. So uh, that's what we... Uh, uh, okay, so that's what we like. That's what I liked about him. And that was a piece of training that I got from him. And at that time, I had this little round face, and you know, and Gary Coleman was popular then. So uh -oh. every white woman saw me want to grab my cheeks and say, "You got the cutest little cheeks, Lucifer Ball, <laughs> Joan Rivers." All of them want to grab my cheeks. God damn it! You know, I'm not a peach. <laughs> what a weird fetish it is for white women to want to grab your cheeks. Uh, I don't know. They, they all thought I had was cute, and you know I felt that all through life. Everybody said you're so cute. I don't want to be cute. I want to be handsome. <laughs> yeah, me too. Welcome to the club. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to be both. I, yeah, I'd like to be either. 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 Yeah. yeah. You could. It could be worse. You could be schlubs like us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You so, could be neither. So, so that was it. So I, I. So at Universal, I had some wonderful things. So then. I got a job uh, over at Paramount. I was a security guard mm -hmm. then, and I was doing these acting showcases. And acting showcases is when you go and you do showcases, the industry come and they watch you. Well, at the time, there wasn't that many scenes that you could do for young black actors like myself. So mm -hmm. that's when I got into writing. I wrote my own scene. Oh, wow. And when I wrote my scene and presented it to this wave of industry people, you never know who it is, producers, directors, uh, casting directors, they're all in the audience. And mm -hmm. so what happened is that I got a call from Gary Marshall, from Laverne and Shirley. Amazing. And the guys, you got to understand that a year before, two before that. I was at home, in school, coming home in the afternoon, watching Happy Days in Laverne and Shirley. And my mm -hmm. friends knew that. They knew that, you know. So so here I am getting a call. I'm, I'm fast forwarding a little bit now. But I'm getting a call from this person. Uh, it's not that about, I want to say about 9 o'clock in the morning because I was working the night shift. So when I got home, mm -hmm. I wanted to go to sleep. And so as soon as I got, uh, went to sleep, I get this phone call and, and I pick up and the lady say, could you hold please for Gary Marshall? And I'm saying, yeah, okay. So then Gary comes <laughs> home. Hey, can't know you. So, and I said, yeah, you're Gary Marshall, right? He said, yes. And I said, okay, Gary, look, I need you to hold on for a minute. I'll be right back, right? And he said, oh yeah, yeah, I hung up on him. 
And it's because <laughs> I thought it was my friends playing a joke <laughs> on me. <laughs> <laughs> so. I hope that has a happy ending where he calls you back and it's just like you never, not like you never talked to him again. He didn't call me back. The lady from Paramount called me back because I had passed on the job. I had an agent at the time that wanted me Mm -hmm. to pursue acting. She didn't want me to pursue writing. So Mm -hmm. because I had an agent that wanted me to pursue writing, she advised me not to take the job. Uh, so there was this black lady at Paramount who took me out to lunch. She wanted me to come in there and take me out to lunch. And you're going to laugh at this too, guys, because my car smoked so bad that they wouldn't let me park on the lot. <laughs> <laughs> they instructed me to park two or three blocks down from the lot. So <laughs> You're making us look bad, kids. Come on. So when I went up there, she interviewed me. She took me. We went to lunch. And I'm from the South. And I'm, you know, being from the South, when somebody we go to lunch, I'm supposed to take care of it. So I knew I had it going on. I had $30. I think we could mm-hmm. take care of each other. I could take her to lunch. But she, we got in a limousine. Oh, no. All right. <laughs> and we went to Chasen's. You know who Chasen's is? Uh, it sounds oh, familiar. Sounds expensive. Chasing was in Beverly Hills. It was one of the most expensive restaurants at the time. Where, oh, no. where the uh, host and the waiters, they wore tuxedos. <laughs> All right. Classic style. The chicken soup for advertisers was $19. I would never <laughs> forget it. $19. <laughs> So when I got there, I started trying to tell the lady that took me to lunch that I was on this diet. But <laughs> the chicken soup diet? I wasn't gonna order chicken soup. I was just why don't you order and I we can just talk. <laughs> and that's when she said, Oh no, darling. Paramount pants this. Order whatever you want. <laughs> oh, that's nice. That is nice. Yeah, that means it's a cheat day. Yeah, so, uh, no, and what it meant is that when I looked at the menu and they had stuff for 30 some dollars, and all I could think, ain't no chicken on here. <laughs> That's my thought so often at a restaurant. Are you like a black person somewhere and there's no chicken? No fried chicken? So, <laughs> the nerve. I mean, it is a classic. But there's a story between that, but I tell that one later, Ethan. But what happened is that she ended up telling me that I'm going to go back, you're going to get a call tomorrow, and you're going to take this job, or I'm going to beat, because she's with a black woman. So she walked in classic, but when that waiter left, she went totally ghetto sister on me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And she said some words that I cannot repeat. Fair enough. Can we guess them? <laughs> no. No, I'm going to say you can't guess okay. them. Okay. You know, she called me some names, and she said, you going to take this role, or I'm going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> so Did you I, take the role? When he called me the next morning, uh, I think uh, two days later, I had my office at um, Paramount. I was a staff writer for 
Jody Love Chachi. Then that show ended. Then they put me on uh, Laverne and Shirley, and that's why I got my first Friday credit. That's why I was. Oh, that's incredible! That's ama- that really is amazing. I was staff writer for Laverne and Shirley. So how so how did you go from your training your training in these workshops? Then you're a staff writer. How do you become a horror icon? How do you get that audition? I didn't. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think everything happens because of the grace of God. I believe that there's a path, but that mm-hmm. happened because I had an agent at the time that wanted me to meet this particular casting director who was very hard to get in on. Yeah. So All at right. that time, actors did general interviews to meet casting directors, and so um, he knew that this casting director was going to be casting something that he felt I could work on. So he got me in for this role called Kincaid. In the breakdown, I wish I could get that old breakdown. Kincaid was a very slim, muscular guy. Completely opposite of what I look like, and so he wanted. You were muscular. No, I was fat muscular. That's a different type. Of <laughs> <laughs> you you weren't ripped. You didn't have like abs. Oh, that's what it was. Anyway, I I, <laughs> I didn't want to go. I didn't have a car at the time. My old car had just taken its last moments, and so I um. The one that was smoking on the Paramount lot. It, it, it was. It could have easily been. A locomotive pulling a train. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So what I did at that time is that they had this audition. That particular day, it was raining like hell. Raining. Mm. And I had to go to court. And so court was downtown L.A. The audition was way out in like Robinson, like on the other side of Beverly Hills. And I lived in Inglewood, so it was clearly a triangle. <laughs> I didn't want to get there, and I had to catch two buses to get downtown. And I had to catch almost three buses over to that audition. Oh, and that's lost, a nightmare. And I lost the case. It was raining, so all I knew is I had my bus schedule, I think, of my audition. Let's say if it was around 4 o'clock, the bus would get me there like it around at three, uh, 3.40, I do the audition. I could get on one of the last buses to go home, which would have been like around five o'clock, and I could have been home out the rain and stuff. I get mm-hmm. there, they're backed up. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way I'm gonna catch that bus. Now. There's a whole bunch of skinny black dudes with abs in front of you. I mean, they had to kind of out that I was attracted to. <laughs> 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 They were all out there. They all had on these hips. Is it wife beaters or something? Yeah, yeah, like muscle mm-hmm. shirts. Yeah, yeah. Muscle yeah. Shirt. It was short. And I was as covered as covered could be. So, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> and soaking wet. I'm I was sure. wet. And so it was about an hour. It was less than an hour before I went because if it was the hour, they had to pay us. So I got in just at the nick of time. <laughs> And I had mm-hmm. such an attitude, guys. I mean, literally, <laughs> I had such an attitude that I didn't want to be there. And I showed that I didn't want to be there. And they thought I was acting. 
That's that method acting, Marlon Brando. Oh, that was losing that court case and that ring acting. (laughs) Fair enough. And uh, so what happened then is that when I was reading it, I just said, a black guy wouldn't say this. And that's when Chuck Russell said, well, why don't you say it the way a black guy would say it? So, And he laughed about it because I literally was cussing him out. Mm-hmm. And so when I got home, finally got home, that was when we didn't have cell phones then. It was those big old Alston services that looked like a machine that looked like a suitcase. And so mm-hmm. it was full. It was full. And all of them was from my age. Wow. Can't call me. Call me. Call me. I need to talk with you. And so I finally, he called as soon as I got in the house. And I picked up the phone and I said, yes, David. And he said, what the hell did you do? And I (laughs) said, David, I told you I didn't want to go. And then he said, they loved you. (laughs) 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 So that's how I got the job. Really, that's amazing. I I got the job. And I always say this afterwards. It didn't work on the next audition. Attitude did not work on the next No, it was just the right place at the right, right time. Right place and right time. So, you young actors out there, don't go into auditions and curse out directors. That is not the advice that we're giving out here. You know, I mean, no, you, you don't go in and, and, and do. I just didn't want to be there, and I unless you don't want to be there. Yeah. Be true to yourself. Be true to yourself, exactly. But the agent was was trying to get me in to meet the casting director. But I had went through so much and all those things. I just didn't want to be there and it showed. And I didn't and I knew I didn't have a chance in hell to get the role. That's what I was thinking. So if I want to give the actors uh, any any type of advice you go in there and you make that role yours. And that's what I did mm. with my old stuff. I made Ken Cake mine. And, mm. That's uh, good advice. And so you have to go in there and you have to do that and you have to believe it. Because once he told me just to be myself and I read it, I made Ken Cake. I gave Ken Cake the way it was. I, I feel it should be. And everything else. So, and it was, they clearly saw 50 or more kids that day. It was a 10K day. And for me to walk in mm-hmm. and get the role, if I had no clue of what it was going to be. Uh, I had never even seen a nightmare on Elm Street. I didn't know what nightmare on Elm Street was. Hmm. Really? You, you, had, you had no, no concept had of Freddy Krueger? No clue of Freddy Krueger. Well, I mean, at this point, they had only made the first two movies. Yeah, but they were really big. started to blow up around three and four. I had, I had no clue. It was nowhere on my radar of knowledge of what Nightmare on Elm Street was. That's amazing. Shibble, do you, do you have nightmare questions? Uh, I got a couple. I mean, I am curious because... one thing. The original uh, Kincaid was for a white guy. It was not for a black guy. What? Yeah. That would have... Well, I'm glad they went the direction that they did. Your performance was great. They made the right call. That would have been the worst mistake ever in cinema. <laughs> it, 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 oh, no. I believe. 
It would have been a very different character, I think. Because, you, you know, you did bring a lot of blackness to the screen. That was very unapologetic and was very refreshing. It was great to see it. And I live. <laughs> yeah, and you live, which is iconic. You know, that that's exceptional. That's that's a piece of uh, a cinema history, you know? That, were, are we sure? Are you the first black man to live as a protagonist through the, in the, an entire major horror film? I'm the first to survive a major horror film and return to a sequel. Okay. I have to give homage to the Blackula. great uh, William Marshall who played Blackula. But that was... Mm. I knew it. I knew it. That was not a technically uh, international horror film that was during the black exploitation years. And mm. I actually And he was also the antagonist. You were a protagonist. Yeah. So so and technically by him playing Dracula, he was already dead, so that don't work. That don't work. Yeah, that's <laughs> a great point. <laughs> and he was great in that movie. I love Blackula. Yeah, so they uh so that I always give homage because that's the first if you're going to look at it that way. But internationally and returning to a sequel, I am the first. I, I always tell them they forgot to kill me. That's why they brought my ass back and killed me too soon. They said, oh, shit, we forgot to kill the black guy. <laughs> I can picture that. That's a very, you know what we forgot to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they they forgot to kill Joey too, you know. No, we left him alive. We forgot to kill the black guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that brings me to your death scene, which is very interesting because you shot it alone, right? What you mean? The, what other actors were on set with you when oh, you shot your death uh, scene? Uh, when we did the death scene, it was just me and Robert Ingram, and that was mm. um, I want to say that was three days to shoot that scene. Wow. And we shot at night. We shot in an actual, actually junkyard that they had turned into all those sets that they had built mm -hmm. in. Um, and it was three days. It was cold, cold, asshole cold. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it was just me and Robert Ingram, no one else. Me and Robert Ingram. And my stunt double, because Ken Sagos don't do high jobs. I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, they got guys that get played penny money yeah, for that. I think I jumped two feet. <laughs> <laughs> was it hard to? Because uh, wait, the dog wasn't there. Wasn't the, the dog was there, but that wasn't no human. God, come on, man. But, did, but dog, you didn't. But the dog had two understudies. Did he really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now was was idea. that scene hard to do because a lot of the action is CGI, and you kind of had to play around it. With there's a dog pissing fire in that scene. Yeah, yeah you. I um, mean, the one thing that I, for me, that I say about the horror, doing a horror film, the good old fashioned horror films, is that the special effects is not there. It comes in afterwards, so it helps you mm -hmm. as an actor. To imagine that those things are there, so that mm. helped me a lot. You know, um, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three was such a training for me. I learned so much by doing that film. 
mm-hmm. I got to meet some great people. I, I always credit uh, Lawrence Fishburne for teaching me how to do mm. physical drama because he took me to the side and became the big brother to me along with some of the others about how to make this work because I was going so crazy when they shot the scene that I had to catch my breath in order to do another one. So he taught me a, a lot of things. So I, I give Nightmare 3, uh, it was like uh, working on your thesis at uh, Yale or something. Yeah. I learned, mm-hmm. I learned, I really did learn a lot. Now, yeah, and I know that uh, Robert Englund is a, a classically trained actor, and you can really tell that a lot in like the way he moves, very much almost like a dancer, you know. Uh, where, and that seems like that would be a different framework from the one that you'd been learning from before. How how were those interactions? Uh, with what exactly? With b- between you and Robert, and just I think maybe having those sort of different approaches to acting. Um. You know, when I first met Robert, he was in the um, um, makeup chair. And one of the things that I have to, and I tell people all the time, if you spend 10 minutes with Robert and just let him talk, you would feel like he was sitting in one of those big auditoriums at Yale, Princeton, or Harvard, listening Mm -hmm. to an invited professor because she learned just that much. He's so knowledgeable, mm-hmm. he's classical trained, he's Shakespearean trained, he has worked with some legends like Sir Lawrence Olivier. You, he can mm. talk about anything. That He can talk about collard greens down south and then talk about the most <laughs> exotic food in England that I don't even know about. And mm-hmm. he English collard greens. You know, he can. Robert is, is is amazing. A lot of times when I'm with Robert England, I don't want to get into a long conversation because I don't want to leave it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very nice thing to say, though. And, and because you leave it and you don't know when we will see each other again, and because of the wealth of knowledge that he knows, you pick mm-hmm. back where you left up. Or you you have some new gems that you have to digest, and it's always. Mm-hmm. And I was always brought up that when someone is giving you knowledge, they give you a gift that you can, a gift that you can never ever be taken away from you. And so that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons I do what I do. But Robert England sitting in this here chair next to me in makeup, it's like a comedian. He's laughing. He's talking, mm-hmm. and he have all this energy. Here I am mm-hmm. sitting in the chair next to him, who has been there five minutes and ten minutes and irritable because I don't want to be there anymore. I, I'm not <laughs> not acting, but in that makeup chair anymore. Mm-hmm. And then to realize he's been in that chair for three or four hours. Yeah, and mm-hmm. he has to be in that costume. For another eight or nine hours, God. And then he has to come. Back. It's, it's like running a marathon. And he it's, has to it's come back to sport. that chair and take it off. So you know, it's nothing but high praise for Robert D. That's all I have to say about. It. 
Well, I have. I have. That's that was everything I was hoping you would say about Robert England. That was fantastic. Thank you for sharing. That. Yeah, if you hear that, you gotta love him just from hearing that. Yeah. Now I I, I have two more quick uh, nightmare questions. Um, I heard that in New Nightmare they were originally going to bring back the Dream Warriors, even though you were dead. Is that true? Now, I heard. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you heard. Well, let me tell you what I heard. Do you tell me what you heard? I I heard. If you remember when I got killed, I said mm. I will see you in hell. That's right. It mm-hmm. was the rumor that I was going to come back and fight Freddy Krueger. That, oh, that would have been so good. That would have been great. Set up because Ken K had become very popular because you know. Robert England, he was good with his mouth. He was good with his tricks and everything. And Kincaid, his dream was natural to be strong. Mm-hmm. But Kincaid could talk shit just like Robert England. That's a great point. Kincaid was strong. Kincaid was wise. You push Kincaid into a corner, he was a lion. He would not go down weak. So in mm. everything that Robert England had, Ken K could match it. And so, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the things that they loved about my character. And I think that that was, I was told that that was a setup they was trying to do because if you everybody else was just killed and they didn't have no last words, Mm-hmm. I had a, you know that's a good point too. No one, no one. Usually, Freddie gets the last words, but you got the last words. He, he had yeah. the last word. He said, "Tell him Freddie sent you." Yeah, but you, but no one gets to talk to Freddie like in the middle of a kill like that. Like you got to. It's true. Do, Normally, he, at that point, they're just sort of screaming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I say, yes, they do. They just say ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got a better line than that. Okay. So right now, may I interrupt the interview? Would you like to do a quick lightning round called "What Can Say Goes"? What you say matters, but what can say goes. Yes, yes, <laughs> I like that. Okay. What you say matters, but what can say goes. Okay. I like that. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, you already answered this one. Favorite horror movie other than yours? The Birds. The Birds. What's your favorite website to browse? Oh, this is a G-rated show, right? No. (laughs) (laughs) I just had to go in there. Okay, so Pornhub. Something personal. Something personal, okay. Number three, who's the greatest guitarist of all time? Johnny Guitar Washington. Who? Oh, Johnny Guitar Washington. So you don't know. You just a black Oh, man. Johnny Washington, you said? Johnny Guitar Washington. Oh, okay. Watch, so you meant Jimi Hendrix? Watch, Is that... Watch. <laughs> Jimi Hendrix up there, too. Oh, okay. In Django that's, Reinhardt? That's what you wanted me to say. I do. I want it to be Jimmy. I do. <laughs> or Django Reinhardt. Um... Num- Sorry, you guys. It's Brian May. It is not. Number four, your favorite <laughs> sports teams. Atlanta. 
Everyone from Atlanta. Atlanta Hawks, and I get in trouble all the time. I didn't say there was a. I didn't say that you'd ask me when they the best. You asked me when they <laughs> That's right. That's a fair answer. Uh, number yes. five. Would you star in a movie we write called Kincaid vs. Freddy that is you right now fighting Freddy? No. Tough but fair. Tough but fair. And you want to know, yeah. know why? Well, yeah, come on. My ass old now. Oh, stop it. No. You look You look well, about 40 you. years right. old. Come on, little film. I'm going to say one of our, my theories, when we watched New Nightmare, it was my theory that Yafet Kodo was actually an older Kincaid. So you could be in like that mode where you're like the wise dream shaman kind of vibe. Well, well Yafet Kodo, for just so you know, many people thought he was my father in real life. Oh my God! That was the wrong. That just seems kind of racist, if I'm being honest. No, that's not racist. I don't think it's racist at all. No, I mean, I do think you two guys do look kind of alike. I'll you know, say so, that. but no, that was racist. I'm just joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. He's putting me on the spot. I, I, if you I, could... um, I um think I was told that what I heard—that's our thing. What I heard is that mm-hmm. the reason they brought him. They went after him is because he looked so much like Ken Cade and he had been killed. Oh, so that does make sense, that whole theory. All right. If you could have two, I want to ask more questions. If you could have two people's autographs, who would they be? Oh, wow. Two people autograph. They wouldn't be famous people. Oh, because interesting. I, and, and, and I say that because um, I would want the autograph of people. Who believed in me when I didn't believe in myself? Wow! Do you want to do you want to name them or no? I my um a man my high school coach and one of my high in my high school drama teacher. Amazing! And it, it would be number eight. And 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 many many females, many 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 females. I'm sure. Now, if you say celebrity, I could go there, but that's that's. I um, always feel that, and you know how I feel about this here, that I'm who I am, not because of the people of celebrities. I'm here because of the many, many thousands of people who lift me up as Ken Cade or in those other roles. And I think. Do you want to tell the story of the person who secretly helped you out when you were in college, or no? <laughs> That was my cousin Billy, but that's that's been a host of others. But the reason that we bring Billy up is because my cousin Billy was gay. You know, he was mm-hmm. he was he was so gay that he was almost straight again, and, <laughs> and he had to bent risk and, and all those things. And when I was growing up, and as a child, he would always come around, and all my uncles and cousins, my manly men that they would always pick at and call him names and everything. But Billy came to see my grandmother and that's all I remember him saying. He didn't care what they said about him. And so that made me distant myself from him too. That made me look at him as a taboo, uh, 
I didn't want people to know I knew him and everything. So when I got to high school, the summer job that I got, Billy got me, but I would never know, let people know that I knew him, but he was my cousin. And then when I mm -hmm. moved to Los Angeles and I got my first series, which was What's Happening Now. Oh, I saw that. You got folded in season yeah. three. And uh, what's, what's Happening Now. And one day, uh, we was all allowed up to 10 guests when we shot. And I had my friends there. No family was there because, you know, no family was there. But um, that was for the pot. My, oh, my first day. I, on the show. And so when my friends came to my dressing room to talk with me, they asked me, did I have any guests up here? And I said, and family up here, and I said, no. And he said there was one guy that was sitting behind them that kept saying that that was his cousin. And so I said, well, you know how people are. They all, everybody try to get to know you when you're making it. So to fast forward, my mom told me that it was Billy who had caught, uh, I, I, I said allies, but he caught a bus from Atlanta, which drove three days to get here. And then he had to walk a certain play uh, area to get to the studio where we was filming and stood in line there. And that night he went back to his hotel and he was leaving. And so I say this guys, because all during my college, when I needed money and I needed help, I would get $20 every month in the envelope that I thought it was from one of my manly cousins, uncles and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. Billy eventually went in the hospital and I called him and I talked to him and he had AIDS. And so when he died, my mama told me that it had been Billy sending me that money. Uh -huh. Billy came all the way up here to see me, and he was one that I distanced myself from him. So uh, from mm. that day on, you know, I, I look at people as people, and I love mm -hmm. people as people. I've had many of those stories in my life, and so mm -hmm. that is one of the stories that if I had to get an autograph, it would be those autographs. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Well put. Well, well, I want to make sure that we talk about your project now, and I know that your time is limited, so I want to make sure that we get to it. <laughs> so right now... And this is this is probably... I mean, I love Kincaid. I love the Marlon Brando stuff. I love the... But this is some of the most exciting stuff to me, what's going on now. Thank you. Um, right now, like currently, you're in pr almost in production, or would we call it in production, on a piece called The Secret Weapon, Yesterday is Today. It's a short film that will eventually be a feature-length film. Is that correct? Yes, I'm praying with God willing it will. Oh, I know it will. And uh, can you tell us a little bit uh, about the story? What most people do not realize, in 1963, there was a group of kids that went head to head with one of the most ruthless, racist, bigots of that time. The legendary... Uh, Fred Trump. Bo, <laughs> Bo O'Connor. 
Bull Connor is one of the most evil racists in the history. And you're saying kids went head to head with Bull Connor? Bull Connor. Kids went head to head with Bull Connor. It was they, thousands of them took to the streets, protest mm. against Bull Connor. Now he was the commissioner of safety, the sheriff, and he started to lock them up. Some was as young as four or five years old. He locked. He was up. locking up four and five year olds. Five years old. Oh my he goodness! Was locking them up, and when the jails got so full, he took them to the hog pen and locked them up in the hog pen. At, children in children, hog pens. At that time, um, the children did not say their real names because they knew if they said their real names their parents would be punished. They would lose their job. They would lose their support. So There'd they, be repercussions. Yeah, they said the name was Jack Freedom, Jail Freedom. And they lived on Muppet's name. Mm. They outsmarted him. See, what you don't realize is that the civil rights movement was at its lowest. Mm-hmm. Dr. King, Reverend Shedd, Fredworth, all of them you know, was trying to save the momentum for the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. Because of these kids, they gave the momentum back to the civil rights movement that the world looked at, President Kennedy looked at, Russia, England, the whole world was looking at this man, locked these kids up like animals. One of the things that he said they was roaches. Oh. How he addressed the kids. I say that Bull Connor was the Freddy Krueger of that time. Yeah. yeah. And the reason it's called the secret weapon yesterday is today. Because if you take pictures of what was going on in 1963 and take pictures of what is going on now and put them in black and white, you cannot tell which is which. Amazing. And so uh, that's why I I say that. And that's why I want to tell this story. Now, we've seen a lot of wonderful civil rights stories as we could. Mm-hmm. But they're not all told in the school or the history books. But mm-hmm. this is one that I want to tell because it deals with children. It shows the children's investment in the civil rights movement. And as you know, the civil rights movement is not just for blacks, it's for the minorities and especially for women. So mm-hmm. it was children that gave the momentum back to the civil rights movement. It was children that gave the momentum for Dr. King to go to Washington, D.C. to do his I Have a Dream speech. It was children mm-hmm. that gave the momentum back for President Johnson to sign the 1964 Children. Uh, Civil Rights Act. I want Mm. to give homage to these children. And so I'm doing this short film. I do need support. I still need support to uh, help me finish this feature. Well, that's... If listeners want to support you, where should they go? That's our next question. How can your fans and our listeners here at Uncle Monster help support this project and get it up and running and uh, to the best of their abilities. What 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 can uh, the listeners do for you? They can go to my website, which is thesagoscompany.com. 
That's T-H-E-S-A-G-O-E-S company.com. Yes. And you can make a donation. And you can also hit on, there's some wonderful uh, horror film. Uh, memorabilia. Memorabilia that you can buy. And you can buy them from there. Now, the crowdfunder is no longer up. It's no longer there. But you can you can All make right. a donation. Uh, there and and help out is it, I, I I do need it. I'm not going to lie, but I'm going to do this short film. We we and also well, we believe in you. Man. Oh, We're this is this is get... happening 100. percent I also want to add, if any of our listeners uh, really want to make a difference in telling this story, I know that there are some producer and executive producer credits. Very few of them. Yeah. That Ken is willing to give out. If you know there are some bigger supporters out there, so contact the show, and we will put you in touch with Ken if that's something that you're interested in. If you, listen, Ken's last short film won uh, won over 200 awards. So you want to be associated with a one, successful project? Won huh? two more last week. What another one? He just won two more awards last week. Okay, 202 awards. <laughs> Excuse me. Congratulations. So if you want to be associated with, uh, I mean, a horror icon and a successful project and a truly uh, a righteous project, really, something that should be mm. told, then get involved. You know, don't just talk about it. Get involved and, and, and help out, really. Uh, it'd be much appreciated and it's the right thing to do. Yeah, I mean, and just think when you become a producer or an executive producer on a project, your name will go on IMDb. Uh, you Everywhere mm -hmm. that I send it out, your name is there, will be on the poster. And I honestly believe that this short film, well, I know this short film is going to go lead to being a feature film. And, uh, and it's a story that needs to be told. And Absolutely. for those who don't know me, I also, can, in association with this short film, I have a, a nonprofit called Giving Back, where I send kids to camp every summer. The GBC, mm. the Giving Back Giving Corporation. Back Corporation, and I've helped over 660 kids with their college education. Oh, fantastic! I, Amazing. I put more than five thousand dollars, five thousand supplies in classrooms across the United States, not just in LA. And I and and I do all I do this here because I'm who I am because of you, but because I try to do things that I couldn't do and wanted to do as a child. I wanted to go to camp. When I got tired and I would see that bus with the load of kids going to camp, wow. but I couldn't go because my mother could not afford it. I, I made mm -hmm. a promise to God and everything that when I got to a level. I was going to send somebody's kid to camp every summer. I, oh, that's I started off sending two, now I sent about 20. And I, every year, I give out 10 scholarships. And I'm giving out 10 this year. I'm, this year, uh, and I'm on uh, Ethan and uh, Chris, I'm going to send you the website. I'm going to send you the Zoom because we're going to see the kids that get the scholarship this Therity. Um, oh, yeah. that's great. Um, so I so I do that. So this is an association with this short film, and it's just a wonderful project because I'm who I am 
because of people who believed in me. So for, for every movie I've done, for everything I've sold, I have literally put a kid, helped to put a kid through college. And that's something that I do. I don't want to wake up in the morning and say, when I make it, this is what I'm going to do. I don't know that. What I know is that right now, I can make a difference. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Mr. Ken Sagos. Can you believe he is not only a superhero in the movies, he is a superhero in real life. That was our interview with the man, the myth, the legend, Ken Sagos. So thank you very much. That was our first celebrity interview. Thank you very much, Mr. Ken Sagos. We appreciate having you on. We can't wait for the show to start. You're going to join us on the main show. Thank you so much. Thank you.